If you um, know anything about Pastor Richard, you would know that he is passionate about teaching the Bible. Right on. That's <laughs> so true. that is to our benefit today as he, he does his part two on forgiveness. Um, if you were not here last week, that was part one. I was away on holidays, so I know that I went online and I watched it. So make sure you do that after the service. Go watch part one online. Thanks, Pastor Richard. Thank you, Crystal. So awesome. A little generous with the compliments, but that's... Uh... We'll, we'll live with him. And uh, Pastor Corey and his family, um, they, they said they miss us this morning. We know they'll miss us, and they want to send their greetings. Uh, they send them to us via pictures, like a file of 40 at a time or so. But uh, we're enjoying them. We're, that way, it, for us, it's a cheap way to spend at uh, Disney World for Beth and I, <laughs> through the phone. Uh, I can't sing too loud in days like this because uh, you got to preach twice and sing twice. Uh, it's, it's quite, you know, it's an effort. And, uh, but I have on occasion been uh, preaching as long as two hours in Africa under a hot tin roof and uh, without a stop and uh, plus 30 degrees. Uh, so I've sort of gotten used to it. But it's been a while. I'm supposed to be retired. But you, you never... You never retire from service to God. Okay, we're here. We're here for the victory. And you, you retire, there's no victory. So uh, I'm just waiting for uh, Layden one of these days to do a backflip on the stage. <laughs> Maybe a double backflip. So, uh, so good to have a worship team that leads us so effectively uh, with enthusiasm all the time, every time. So, amen. We're glad you're here today. Today's a day of miracles. Did you know? Every day you wake up, it's a day for a potential miracle. If you know Jesus. Because he's a miracle man. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a man and a woman today. But uh, I want to give you a little bit of uh, uh, information, we'll call it, before we get to that. And uh, by the way, Pastor Beth, uh, you want to stand up? Kind of? stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. God... You know, God gave her white hair, so all the times when we're shopping together, I can just look, where's the white hair? And then I find her with her arm full of stuff. And uh, uh, Pastor Beth is a pastor. She's an ordained minister, in case you didn't know. So be careful. <laughs> when I'm at home, I call her Your Majesty. Because <laughs> she thinks she's the queen. And so, anyway, we're doing okay. She's put up with me for over 50 years, so... We, we, <laughs> we hope we have a few more. Uh, I love preaching, so I'm glad that Pastor Corey gave me an opportunity. It's pretty hard to follow in his footsteps because, you know, he's a pretty dynamic preacher. And uh, I'm not a very dynamic preacher. I'm a sort of a teacher, low-key. And uh, we just keep it cool, you know. Just relax. Keep it cool. We'll try to prove that today. Last week... We reveal to you that Jesus is a forgiver. That's his nature. That's who he is. The first way you will ever know Jesus as, is as a forgiver. You can't come into the kingdom of God without receiving forgiveness. And you get it from Jesus. Uh, then when he calls us into the kingdom, he calls us brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And so we're to do, we're to follow his footsteps. We're to follow up with a victory that he gained on the cross that day. Okay, with his, the power of his words. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. 
He gained a victory over the enemy. He could have launched missiles against him. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have created and released an atomic bomb against the forces of darkness. But he didn't. He chose something more powerful. It's the sword of the word. It's the word of God. And sometimes when we get wounded, hurt, you know, we, somebody sins against us. We have all these resentments and unforgiveness and all these hurts build up in our lives. And we try to fight back against the enemy with our flesh. This is the flesh in action. You, I'll get you. I curse you. And most of the time we use the words of our mouth because they're sharp like this is sharp. And we think that's effective against the devil, but it is not. Okay, it's just the flesh. We have to learn to war against him because he wants to get us into unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment so he can control our lives. Because anytime those things dominate us, he is in con control of our lives and Jesus is not. So throw away the weapon of the flesh. And most of the time it's our tongue. That's one of our worst enemies. We're trying to battle a spiritual enemy uh, that Jesus has already defeated. We're trying to keep him defeated with our flesh. And we can't do it. We have to take the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Our victory lies in Jesus. Not in our own personal strength or our emotions. Give up the emotions and go to the word of God and develop a life that will help you gain, help you walk in the victory that Jesus got for you on the cross that day. Okay, use the sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. Well, last week we talked about how Jesus is the forgiver. He has given us the ability to forgive people. That day you got born again, he breathed life into you like he did his disciples in John chapter 20. He breathed life into you. With that life comes the essence of who he is. And that includes forgiveness. Forgiveness is the greatest power or act of love. Jesus demonstrated that. So he has given that to you. Some of us have got that key in our pocket. Like I talked about last week, the key of authority. He's given us authority to forgive people, to love people and forgive them. And we keep the key in our pocket and never use, utilize it. If I give you the key for my, my, uh, my vehicle and you never use it, you keep it in your pocket. You can walk home all you like. But you've got to take that key out and use it or else it's no good to you. He has given us the authority. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. If Jesus said, I send you, are you sent or not? You know, you need to look at somebody beside you today and say, I'm a sent one. I'm a sent one. We should be hearing a roar right now. Because we are the sent of God. We're sent to destroy the works of the enemy. And we do it by forgiving our neighbor. That's how you forgive, how you deal with the enemy. So he's given us authority. He's given us a command to forgive. It's not a suggestion. You know, if you're feeling good tomorrow, I'll forgive a couple people. If you're feeling good. It's not about emotions. Not about feelings. That day when he was hanging on the cross, he wasn't feeling all that hot. But he forgave. He forgave the world, world their sins by faith. So, uh, so it's an exercise of faith to forgive somebody. So that's the spirit of God working in you, through you, to release them and to release you. Because as long as you don't forgive somebody, you have bitterness in your heart. You're imprisoned by yourself, by your choice. So we need to learn how to forgive. We forgive others by faith. We're not saying what, what they did was right. What they did was wrong, otherwise there's no need for forgiveness. You get it? 
And the first person we need to forgive is ourselves because we know who we really are. We know the potential for evil in here. Okay, we know us. We, what we show other people is a mask. In most cases, we show them a mask, but we know what we are in here. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to say the words, I forgive. I forgive. When we have ministry in the prayer corner following the service, maybe you've never done this. Maybe you need to go over there and, and, and talk to one of our prayer teams and say, I forgive and say somebody's name. That could set a precedent for you for the rest of your life. We need to become great forgivers. And the more you forgive, the easier it, it, it becomes. It doesn't deplete you in any way to forgive somebody. In fact, it strengthens you. So we need to practice forgiveness. Today, I want to give you just a, a little bit of information that I've compiled over the years. And uh, we're going to get this up on the screen here. Evidence that you have unforgiveness. You want to check yourself out today. Evidence. Okay, number one, you want somebody's sin to be revealed. Boy, you get on that phone when somebody has hurt you and you tell that person and tell them to tell everybody. That's what we do. We need to protect people. That if you want somebody's sin to be revealed, it's a sign that you have unforgiveness. Or you want the one who hurt you to suffer or to be punished. Has somebody ever hurt you and you say, well, I hope when they're walking home a dog bites them. Well, not very hard, but at least through their pants. I'll draw a little blood, okay? Uh, you're bothered each time you think of that person. You ever, that ever happened to you? Every time you think of a person, you're just uneasy? Probably you need to ask the Lord if you have unforgiveness. Or if you become angry because you or an acquaintance was wounded. There can be a, like a, a third party a, a wounding, a third party sin, and you get angry about it, or you, you take that on yourself. We need to watch for that. Or your close fellowship with the Father, our Father God, is broken. Ask Him why. You're no longer grateful for God forgiving your sins. You ever, ever get to that place? You just lose your uh, gratefulness. Sometimes we need, we need to wake up in the morning and give thanks. Thank you so much, Lord, for forgiving my sins. You have forgiven me all my sins by the power of the blood. Okay. Or you may still have resentment if that person gets blessed. You know, you're working, you're working, you're working, you're praying, you're doing everything you, need, you, need, you think you need to do. You come to church, you fellowship, you serve in the church, and, and you're waiting for a blessing, waiting, waiting. Somebody who has just sinned against you gets blessed, and you get angry about it. That's unforgiveness. It's diff if it's difficult to worship or pray, or the word is close to your heart, if revelation doesn't come anymore, ask the Lord why. Because he wants to give you revelation. The promise is there will be food in my house. If you bring your tithe into the storehouse, there will be food in my house. You're the one that's supposed to get that food. Okay, or finally, if you have a lack of rest and contentment in your life, always a little nervous, always a little antsy, can't ever be content. You want something that somebody else has all the time. Okay, lack of contentment. You ask the Lord if, you're, if you have unforgiveness. Now, what is, that's what forgiveness that's the evidence you have forgiveness. What, is, uh, what about what forgiveness is not? This is what forgiveness is not. Let me read these to you. It is giving approval for the wrong actions of a person. That is not forgiveness. Excusing what they did or being blind to wrong actions or sin. Excusing what they did. Because a person who has sinned against you is guilty. Okay? But you don't need to expose them. 
or excuse what they did. Releasing them from the consequences that God may require for them. God has a law in place that says whatever you sow, you reap. But we don't have to give the, the reaping. We want to, you know, we turn to judgment very quickly. That's a sign that you have unforgiveness when you want to judge. This is how we act. God, you, I want you to forgive me, but I'll judge everybody else. Okay, that's being two-faced. We need to forgive them as God forgive, forgave us. Okay, or having, and forgiveness is not having an immediate trust in a person. Okay, forgiveness is not, not, not equal to trust. Forgiveness is a command. It's expected by, by um, God from you if you're born again, if you're in the family. But trust has to be earned. So don't think you have to trust a person because you forgive them. You forgive them, let God deal with them. See where it goes. Forgiveness is not denying what has happened or forgiving the wrong. It's not denying anything. Forgiveness is not pretending we're not hurt. You know, man up. So they wounded you. They give you a tongue lashing and they wounded you. Man up. Uh, we'll get over it. We'll just tough it up. That's what we do, don't we, men? But God wants us to not quit pretending that we're hurt. Be honest and then go for forgiveness. Okay, or refusing to take sin committed seriously. God is very serious about sin committed. Very serious. We see that right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. They ate from the wrong tree. And nowhere it says in the Bible it was an apple, by the way. So don't believe that. I think it was a mango. It's, uh, that's my fruit of choice. So if I would have been tempted by anything, it would be a mango. But... <laughs> He, when they sinned against him, they touched what he, they ate what he said, don't eat from it. And they got removed from the garden. They got removed from the presence of God. So let's remember those things. Remember what sin is and what sin isn't. Today I want to talk, um, talk about the making of a man. By the way, you want to hear a miracle? Went to Africa one time. Went to a place, a city I hadn't been there before. They were building a, some kind of a high-rise hotel or something like that. They had an underground parking space uh, under there, and it was, they were just building it. So, you know, it was kind of a little dirty, smelled like uh, concrete. And uh, so we, they, they got a couple of hundred chairs, got them in there. It was nice and cool in there when it was hot outside. And I went in there, and I start preaching this message on forgiveness, which, by the way, takes six hours. So, so if I get another chance, bring a lunch. Uh, or join our small group because I'll, that's right uh, you may as well it's the best small group anyway so uh, and maybe September October we'll get into teaching this in depth so we get a real good coverage of this but we here we're down in this parking lot under this in this parking garage underneath and uh, there were a few hundred people gathered and without me knowing it, there was a woman in there that had come in you know the story of the Bible that talks about the woman with an issue of blood she had an issue of blood for many, many years. She spent everything she had on doctors. It only became worse. I don't think uh, Pastor Paul had his license. I mean, uh, pre, uh, Dr. Paul had his license at that time, so he may maybe have helped a little bit. But she got no help. She got worse. Spent all her money, went to the doctor, got worse. But one day she heard about Jesus, the forgiver, the miracle man. He was coming to town. So she crawls. She was a reject. She was not allowed to go into public. So she was a reject. She crawls. Can you see her crawling through the big crowd that's around him? Crawling through because that's the only way she could get through because she was so weakened from her condition of, of having this uh, bleeding all, for years and years. Never stopped bleeding. And so she comes and touches his garment and she gets healed. 
Well, we were in, in this meeting, and I was preaching on forgiveness, about how Jesus will forgive and how we need to forgive. And she went home, and I didn't realize till after, I got the story afterwards, that she had been abused and manipulated uh, by her husband and by her children for years. They just bad-mouthed her, abused her physically, and uh, she was just to a tormented person. She had an issue of blood. She had been bleeding for these years. And she came into the service, and that day she said, I'm going to do something. The sword of the word has come to me today. And she went home. On her way home, she began to forgive her husband. She began to give all, forgive all her sons and her, her children and forgave them. And that night, Jesus came to her house. And she came to the service the next day. She said, I got healed last night. No more issue of blood. It's the application of the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, to defeat the enemy's work in our lives. And it can affect us in so many different ways. It can affect your finances, it can affect your health, it can affect everything, your relationships, it can affect everything about you. So become a forgiver. I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 7. I want to tell you about a man. You know, Stephen got the message of Jesus in his heart. And he began to preach to the scribes and Pharisees. And he was telling them about this Jesus a forgiver. And of course, they hated it. They hated it with a passion. They had the killer instinct when he was preaching about forgiveness. He was telling them about, about this man who had delivered them from their sins. And as he was preaching to them, they got more and more angry. And, 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 uh, because they, it, it interferes with their traditions and their customs and their control. They don't want to give up control to somebody else like Jesus. They want to have control so they can control people. So anyway, there were, he was preaching to them. And uh, he, he, he says to them, listen to what the boldness of Stephen. Because he had the spirit of God in him. He, he says to them in Acts chapter 7, verse 31, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hearted ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Wow, what a thing to say against all these religious leaders, a pack of them. You know, they're there in force. And so he, he confronted them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, they, they, the, it, in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, what he was saying, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. You know what that is like? You ever hear somebody grinding their teeth? <laughs> they, they just get angry and they, they grind their teeth. They're so angry. And, and uh, some of you do that when you sleep because uh, in, your, in your dreams, you're grinding your teeth. They were so angry, they could not stand it. So that's, that's how they feel how they feel. They were gnashing at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. When, when he, you preach the word, the heavens open up. And he saw the glory of God. And he saw the Son of Man. He saw the Son of God. Uh, standing at the right hand of God. You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he got a position. The position was seated at the right hand of God. That's the hand of authority. So he's seated there with authority, the head of the church, the son of God, the firstborn among many brethren. He was, he was the miracle worker seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. But when he heard Stephen preach this message about himself, about the forgiver, the Bible says he saw, when the heavens opened up, he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand. You know, it's the only place in the Bible where it says Jesus was standing. 
So if you go to a football game and your, tier, your team is winning and they score the winning goal, what happens? Everybody in the crowd stands up because they're excited, they're enthusiastic, our team is winning, we have won the game. You see, that's why Jesus was standing. Because he's saying, my team has got it. This Stephen, he's got it. He's a winner. He's a winner. All he was doing is teaching on forgiveness and the forgiver. So what do you think it will take from you to get Jesus to stand at the side of, at the, at the throne of God, at the right hand of the Father? Don't you think that he is just as excited when you forgive somebody as when Stephen would do that? So every time you forget somebody, see Jesus rising up and with enthusiasm saying, yes, keep on doing it. Let me just finish the story so we get the full picture here. He, saw, he said, look, I see the heavens open. Son of man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. I mean, they didn't just hand out earplugs like we do here in, in, in the, office, in the uh, box office here. They stuck their fingers in their ears as far as they could. And they did not want to hear any more of this. They cried out with a loud voice and they ran at him with one accord. Can you? The spirit of murder was on them. And they cast him out of the city and, and uh, stoned him. And, uh, and witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know, nobody got stoned there for injury, to injure them in those days. When they stoned them, that was for, that was till, till the death. And so they're looking for stones, big, big stones. And there was a guy in the back of the crowd named Saul. And he's holding their coats and encouraging them. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. And they're taking their shirts off because, boy, they were free, you know, to, to stone. And they'd pick up big stones, sharp stones. You know how many stones you've got to get hit by, by the, before you die? It's just going to be a lucky throw on your head that's going to make you die. You're going to have a lot of pain. So here he was in agony, Stephen, after he preached this wonderful message about this wonderful Jesus. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice so nobody would miss it. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He's dying. He's in agony. He's painful. He's not feeling good. His emotions are all over the place. And his wife is probably watching. And he says, don't, don't hold this to their account. Forgive them. As he's dying, forgive them. That's why Jesus was standing. Can you make him stand? In a time when you're suffering and somebody has sinned against you, you're suffering agony, you say, Pastor, you don't know how much I've suffered, but I know how much Jesus suffered and I know how much Stephen suffered. And they still said, forgive them. That's the power of God. That should be flowing through the church in this day. Flowing through our wives. Through, through our, not our wives, our lives. <laughs> our wives too. A short time later, Saul, who was, he, you know, he got letters of credit from the scribes and Pharisees to go every place. To go every place and drag men, women, and children back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says he was breathing threats and murder. He, was, he had murder in his heart. Many people died in that day because of, the, the, uh, because of the anger against Jesus and against the message Jesus gave us. 
And he was breathing threats. And he was on the road to Damascus. And he was not riding a horse, as some preachers say. Because there's no mention of a horse in the Bible. He was probably walking like they all did in that day. And so they're, say they're on the road to Damascus. He and a group of his terrorists. Um, and they're going to Damascus. And suddenly a light appears from heaven. And a voice comes from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, what happened that day when Stephen said, I forgive them. The wall against Jesus and the wall against the church and the wall against the Christians, the wall against forgiveness and the principles of God, that wall came down and the Holy Spirit was free to come in. That's why it was, the heaven was open to him that day. Revelation came to him. He didn't have to have a long message or a big Bible study to know who Jesus was. He got it revealed in a second. This Jesus, the forgiver. And he said, Lord, what must I do? He said, Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you kicking against the prodding of the spirit for you to adopt this new life? He's prodding you. He's prodding you. Why are you fighting it? And that day he said, Lord, what must I do? He called him Lord before he ever, before he knew anything about him. He called him Lord. And then God took him to a journey. And he became probably one of the most significant People that ever lived on this earth, one of the greatest forgivers that ever walked this earth. The man, Saul, was converted to Paul in a moment. That's the power of forgiveness. That's why it's so critical that we continue to do what Jesus taught us to do, like Stephen was doing. The last message from the cross and the first message to the church is all about for forgiveness. It's the foundation that has to be laid. You and I are part of that foundation. We are meant to be not just believers. Sometimes you say, I'm a believer. Well, are you a forgiver? I'd sooner hear in the church a resounding, we're forgivers. We're forgivers. Even the devils believe, the Bible says. The devils believe who Jesus is. He comes, he comes walking down, down the road. And the demoniac hollers out, Jesus, you're, you're Jesus. He knew who he was. He believed the devil. But can you become a forgiver? And it's so easy. All we have to do is open our mouth and say words. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Bible says, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. You don't need to feel it first. You need to say it so your heart can begin to believe it. You say it, you say it, and you say it, and you say it, eventually, that stubborn old heart of yours will believe it if you say it long enough because it's the truth. I am a forgiver. So we learn to forgive, but we have to do it with the words of our mouth. That's why it's going to be important to go, to the, go over to the prayer corner, to the prayer wall over there after the service, if, you, if you've never done this, and start it. So go there, and if you've got somebody in your heart, go there and profess in front of one of the prayer people. For, profess that you're forgiving a person. Can you do that? That's a good start to the day. It's a good start for the rest of your, your life. Now, I want to go to John chapter 8. I want to share with you a, a, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, when I go overseas, they, they're, they're, just, they're on me all the time to go preach about the adulterous woman. They want to hear about the adulterous woman. Okay, you want to hear about the adulterous woman? Okay, John chapter 8. Jesus comes. He, he comes to the temple. He just came from the Mount of Olives and he's in the temple and he sat, sat down and he taught them. 
And they, the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, teacher, this woman who was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that he might have something of, of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. You know, there was sand on the floor of the temple in those days. So he, he just pretended he didn't hear them and he was writing. Now, how did they ever, how did they ever find this adulterous woman? Why would they bring her into church service? If you brought an adulterous woman in here, in a church service, I'd, I'd get Jason to say, just take her out. You go out, take her out. But we don't, see, we're kind, aren't we? But Jesus is kinder. He knew he had some answers for this problem. So he let them disrupt the service, bring her in. And can you imagine them coming into this service? She was fighting for her life. She was a Jewish woman. Didn't you read that in your Bible? No. But it's there because you can't take a non-Jewish woman into the temple. So she's obviously a Jewish woman. But how did they find her address? You know, if you're looking for somebody, if you're looking to make trouble, what do you do? Walk down the street and keep knocking on doors? Any adultery in here? Any adulteresses? Anybody we could accuse? Anybody we could take to church? You see, how, how do you find an adulterous woman? Well, these guys, there's probably a pack of them because these scribes and Pharisees hunted in packs. They wouldn't dare confront Jesus alone. And that's why they came, to confront him. They'd have to have a gang, probably six or eight, I would say minimum. Because they were afraid of Jesus. And so they're walking down the street. And they're walking by the street they're familiar with, obviously. Because why would they look in a house for a person if they're not familiar with the street? So they're walking down the street and look across the street. And there's a, there's a, a camel with out-of-town plates on parked in front of the street. <laughs> he said, that's not right. That's not her husband's camel. I said, out-of-town camel. What's going on here? And I suspect they'd been at this address before because they had some cause to go in there. I mean, who cares if there's an out-of-town motorcycle sitting in my front yard? Who, what do I care? But they cared. There was a reason why they cared. Because they had some relationship with somebody in that house. I would guess they would have a relationship with somebody in that house. They had a cause to go there to that house. And they look at each other. And one guy says to the other, you, you, you got your key? Uh, no, you get your key? Yeah, I got my key. You see, they may have had access to the house or else they would have had to break the door down to get into the house to find something they don't know anything about. And see, it doesn't make sense. They knew there was information of why they would go into that house to even look for somebody who's committing adultery. Where do you commit adultery? Not in the kitchen, bedroom. Got to get to the bedroom. Don't peek through the front, through the front windows. Got to get inside. So they get inside. They, the Bible says they told Jesus they caught her in adultery. It was not a text message. Okay, it was not a video. They caught her in adultery. So they grab her, kicking and screaming because she's a Jewish woman. She knows the Jewish law. And the Jewish law for somebody who's caught committing adultery is death by stoning. She knew she had a death sentence on her when they broke in to her house. But to, according to the scripture, it says a man or a, a man and a woman caught in adultery, they both shall be stoned. Well, where's the man? 
Well, you see, he was from out of town. He probably was a Gentile, a non-Jew. So they wouldn't let a non-Jew into the, into the church service. So the woman gets caught. They're going to take it out on her. They're going to take her anger out on her because now she's a defiled woman because she's been with a Gentile. And in other words, she's no more good to them for anything they might want to do. You get it? So they were angry. They were full of vengeance. They wanted to revenge. And so they bring her in. She's fighting for her life because she knows she's going to die. They're dragging her in by the hair. She's kicking and flailing and slapping people. And, and can you imagine the chaos? And Jesus looks at her with compassion. And they're trying to get him to agree with, with the, the, old, the old law. Because they're traditional law-abiding. But not Jesus-abiding people. So they want him to accuse her. And they say... What do you do with such a person? He says, guilty as charged, it's the death penalty for her. And I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Because he knew he was going to the cross to pay that debt. He knew it. So he looks around and he starts writing on the ground, not paying any attention to their, you know, they're just egging him on. And he's looking out. And he sees Quinn out there, scribes and Pharisees. He sees Dowell out there. And he sees Jason. And he sees, you know, six or eight guys. And I always thought he was writing on the ground. He was writing their names. So everybody would know evidence, evidence, evidence. I don't think that's the story. Knowing Jesus' character. He was not about revealing somebody's sin. But he looks over there at Quinn and he writes, forgiven looks at Dow, forgiven. He looks at Jason, forgiven. Everyone who is there, from the oldest to the youngest, the Bible says they went out when they saw that, forgiven. They did not want to be forgiven. And all those people who were in the presence of Jesus, like the woman who was forgiven, she was caught and she was forgiven. All those men, religious leaders, they went out Passing up on the opportunity to receive forgiveness from Jesus. Isn't that a powerful story? Who do you think became a follower of Jesus in about 10 minutes? The one who was forgiven. That's what we want to portray to the world around us. You are forgiven. Come and follow Jesus with me. That's what it's all about. That's, amen. That's the call to the community. That's the call to the people of our, our city. You are forgiven. Come and enjoy the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. He looks at her and he said, where are, the, are those accusers of yours? She said, he said, where are they? She said, uh, they're gone. They're all gone. Listen, don't be an accuser. Be a forgiver. And see what God do, will do in your life. See what miracles he will give you in your life. Because you forgive people their sins. Do what John chapter 20 says. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Take the authority, take the keys that he gave you and use them to set people free and watch the miracles happen. Watch what Jesus will do. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your goodness, your love for us, how you watched over us all these years. When we rejected you and sinned against you, you forgave us because you loved us. Because that's who you are. Lord, we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to be brothers and sisters of the righteous Christ. 
and forgive people their sins so that they can be free as we are free. So we thank you, Lord, for this great day. And we look for the miracle result of what happens when we do what you've asked us to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.